Good morning. And welcome to Phoenix Seminary. You are my class, at least for the next uh, three mornings. It's a great, always a great privilege. Especially at my age now, it's still a great, great privilege to be here. In my 50 plus years of ministry, I have watched people and they all seem to be chasing the same thing. And of course, that's happiness. Now, I have to admit that there are some people that act like being miserable makes them happy. I mean, they've been, look like they've been baptized in pickle juice. But the reality still is that everybody has this deep desire to be, to be happy. You, you, you know, you've studied the Beatitudes. Here, Jesus summarizes basically as an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he summarizes, introduces it with the Beatitudes. And notice how he begins, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. And, and that word blessed is the Greek word makarios, which means all the happiness of. But then you kind of go, you know, Jesus, you got this a little bit turned around. Because uh, where's the happiness of being poor in spirit? Where's the happiness in, in mourning? I mean, where's the happiness in being gentle? Uh, I mean, that just makes you look weak. So he talks about this happiness. Well, what's happiness really all about? Our, our, even our English word happy, the root is hap, H-A-P. It means by chance. Put in front of a other word, it's haphazard. Bad things happen by chance. So we kind of wonder this happiness thing that we're all pursuing, is it really kind of a roll of the dice? Uh, have a lucky day, some days are stones, and, and as Denver said, some days are diamonds. And you don't know if it's going to be a good day or a bad day. It's all by chance. You know, speaking of unhappy people, have you ever heard of the man Bertrand Russell? Bertrand Russell was an English philosopher, celebrated atheist. He actually wrote the book, Why I Am Not a Christian, kind of a self-help book for atheists. But one time while he was in, in deep thought, he, he was asked an interesting question. And, and he asked basically, why was he so meditative? Why was he so serious? He looked confused. And this was his response, and he wrote it down. Because I made an odd discovery. Every time I talk to a scholar, I feel quite sure that happiness is no longer a possibility. Yet, when I talk to my gardener, I'm convinced of the opposite. Sometimes we overthink things. It's like elders' meetings at churches. Have you ever noticed the longer they go, they never get more positive? It just kind of goes down and down, and you know, instead of up and up, and we all kind of scream in joy. Well, it's the same thing with overthinking something. In this pursuit of happiness, maybe we ought to look around and see, well, who's happy? I mean, where are the happy people? And then I'm going to introduce the book of Ecclesiastes to you. Is this where we're going to find the key to happiness? I mean, a book that begins with vanity, vanity. All is vanity. It's like, why don't you shoot me in the head right now? 
And that's why this book of Ecclesiastes and the Hebrew word is Kohelet, means preacher, teacher. This is Solomon's personal journal. He's coming towards the end of his life. He's about my age now. And he's reflecting all the things. And he's not pessimistic. He's just really honest. And sometimes it's about the truth and that whole thing about you can't handle the truth. I'm becking the fact that you desire to know wisdom. See, wisdom is connecting things. It's making those connections between uh, decisions you make and consequences to them. Uh, the, the behavior we practice and the results. I mean, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if you could predict how your decisions are going to turn out? How your behavior is going to result? That's called wisdom. It's making those connections. And you see, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created physical laws. You get on top of this building, jump off, you're going to go down. What if you don't agree with the law of gravity? Well, debate it all the way down. Because it's the law of gravity. It's God's instilled so that this creation doesn't become chaotic. He has these physical laws in the same way. Knowing that it would be inhabited by human beings with freedom of choice. So it doesn't get totally chaotic. Can you say that word, chaotic? Anyway, let's come back to that. He made also moral laws. He's instilled basically in this universe that, that certain things will always produce the same thing. Certain behavior will always result the same way. And the sooner we can make these connections, just maybe this greater success, greater happiness we're going to experience. We see up here about the theme of joy. Well, what do you think joy is? The word is kara, and in essence, all it really means is the absence of fear. Joy doesn't mean necessarily you're giggling around. All it means is that you're not driven by fear. But rather, with the absence of fear, you are freed up when Jesus said, you know, abide in my word. If you know my word is the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. Free from what? Have you ever asked? Free from fear. So instead of the fear in your decisions that are going to ruin your life, ruin your children, ruin your future, you don't have to fear that anymore because you become wise. And so in this book of Ecclesiastes, which seems to start off with the last place you would ever want to look for any concept of happiness, and yet it's like I said, people think it's a pessimistic book by a frustrated, bitter old man but have you read it? For example, let me just pick out a few verses and you tell me how horrible and how pessimistic and negative this book is. Chapter 2, verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than to eat, to drink, to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen that it is from the hand of God. Who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has set eternity in their hearts, yet man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is a gift of God. Chapter 5, verse 18. He continues in his journal. 
Here's what I've seen to be good and fitting. I'd like to know the, what this wise man says is good and fitting. To eat, to drink. I keep liking that eating and drinking. You know? See, the book begins with vanity, vanity, all is vanity. The word is havel, not hell, havel. And hell simply means vaporous. Uh, when Billy Graham was asked, what was the biggest surprise in his life? You know what he said? It's brevity. But when you're young, it seems like it moves so slowly. As you get older, you go, oh my. I thought I was 52. You know, I blinked and now it's this. <laughs> and the fact is, that even he says, life is vaporous. It moves so quickly, it takes a kind of wisdom to extract enjoyment from it. And you need to know what that wisdom is. And the reason he talks about eating and drinking is when you eat, when do you enjoy the food? When do you enjoy eating? In the future, the past, or the present? Right now. Unless it's Mexican food after seven, then I'll enjoy it usually into the evening. But eating, drinking, enjoy oneself and all one's labor. Isn't that interesting? That you can actually be happy in the work, the hard work that you do. As you toil under the sun during the years of his life, which God has given him as his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he's also empowered him to eat from them, to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This truth is a gift of God. For he will not often, now I want this on my tombstone. For he will not often consider the years of his life. The fact he's got all his regrets that his life has passed right through his fingers because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. This guy's so busy with happiness, the gladness of his heart, he doesn't even care about the fact that he's growing older and even the fact he's going to die. Chapter 9, verse 7, he doesn't back off. He, he says, go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with cheerful heart for God's already approved your works. Now let your clothing be white at all time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Smell good. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which he has given you under the sun, for this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. And he goes on and on. Does this sound like a negative book? Does this sound like a bitter old man who's just angry at life? Not at all. But he's being really honest. And he's going to be very honest about this thing called life. Now, as I mentioned before, this Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, means preacher, sage, it's a picture of this sage, this wise man, instructing other wise people, and they're wise because they want to become wiser. <coughs> so, he begins, he says, let me first tell you that life is going to fly right by, and so if you're going to extract happiness, enjoyment, you better be wise on how to do it. And he's going to deal with it. But what's interesting is that he uses his life as a laboratory as a matter of fact, in chapter 2, he said, I said to myself, come now, I will test with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it was futility, hevel. I said of laughter, it's madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? How would you like to add this to your testimony? When he says in verse 10, 
all that my eyes desired. I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Ha! You can understand who this guy is. He, he is the king of Israel. He, 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 he's lived out every fantasy you, you can imagine. No one tells him what to do. He, he's a trust fund baby. I mean, his dad, David, did all the worrying. Now for 40 years, he's got peace. He receives a double portion of wisdom from God himself. The guy has 40 stalls of horses. I mean, he's got, he wrote 3,000 3, proverbs, songs. He wrote 1,005 songs. The guy had 700 wives, 300 concubines. We're not going any further than with that. And the fact is, is here's this wealthy guy, double portion of wisdom, and he wants to say, let me tell you what I learned about happiness. Now, I don't know about you. I'd like to hear the man out. And this is his journal, his diary. And I'd like to hear, all right, what did you learn? And then he comes up with this again in chapter 2, verse 24. He says, there's nothing better. Here's what I've learned. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen that it is from the hand of God. Take note. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment, happiness without him? So somehow, something has to be in, in relationship with God and something about his hand and it has something to do with the experiences of my life. Here's the question. What if? What if the first gift from God is life itself? Think about it. What's the first thing God says when he describes his creation? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he describes, as it breaks down the description of his creation, he describes each one as being good. That word good in the Hebrew is the word tov. And the word tov means good in the sense of design to be enjoyed. Why do you think God has given us five senses? Sometimes we think, you know, that, well, you know, the real gift of God is going to be heaven. So therefore, Christians are no earthly good. They're all caught up with sweet by and by. And then they just kind of endure the nasty now and now. But what if, what if the first gift from our creator after our creation is this life itself? So we can smell. So he has fragrance. We can hear. So there's music. We can smell. So there's wonderful things that to smell. There's taste. What would it be like if everything tasted like liverwurst? But there's a variety of tastes. And in our little tongues, we've got things in the back so that we can throw up poison. But we got on the tips are sweet and sour on the side. I mean, even the tongue is designed to enjoy food, drinking. So we are given these, these senses and notice it's interesting, with every sense we have, there's something out there to sense and thus to enjoy. 
Now, are we talking about the old Epicurean philosophy? Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. But that's not what Solomon says. He, he says, I've seen that it is from the hand of God. Now, I think the Apostle Paul helps us with this. Remember Paul, uh, how did Paul die? Anybody remember? Head severed from his body. Isn't this a great subject to talk about? But, but let me tell you why that's important. Because Paul was Jewish. And, 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 and Jews were crucified. Peter, upside down. The apostles, half of them, crucified. Why wasn't Paul crucified? He was a Roman citizen. And one of the advantages of being a Roman citizen is if you really blow it, they'll kill you, they'll execute you, but they'll, boom, been told it's the most painless way to die. I have no idea whoever was around to explain that to anybody, but apparently it's quick and easy. So, Paul, how did he get to be a Roman citizen? He's from a wealthy family. If you're Jewish, you only get it by purchasing it. So apparently his dad had purchased Roman citizenship. And because of that, he could afford tuition. You just did not show up at the school of the greatest uh, theological instructor of the time, Gamaliel. Yet Paul is a student of Gamaliel. He doesn't drop in for a visit. Tuition has been paid by his old man. So Paul comes from a wealthy family. And if Paul could afford the tuition to study under Gamaliel, then that means he would study the curriculum Gamaliel put together. And what do you think Gamaliel would be teaching these young Jewish students? How about the book of the wisest man who ever lived in Israel? Paul would have studied this book of Ecclesiastes, along with Proverbs, along with Psalms, along with all the other wisdom books, historical as well as prophetic. And so here is Paul. He knows this book. And he gives us a kind of a clue. For, for example, when Paul writes uh, towards the end of his ministry and his life, in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he, he gives a warning. And in that warning, Paul basically says this. He says, in the latter times, the Spirit explicitly says that there's going to be those who will fall away from the faith now listen, they pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as to with a branding iron. Wow! What is it that these people are believing? I mean, doctrines of demons, it must be really some sick, sick stuff. Men who forbid marriage. Hello! How sick is that? I cannot believe it. They're, they're saying that they forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude for it's sanctified, set apart by the means of the word of God. God's word tells us that this comes from the hand of God. And if we are grateful... And with prayer, it's a source of enjoyment from this first gift. It's the Apostle Paul in, 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 in chapter 6, verse 17. Well, again, when, when he says, Now teach the rich that they're a bunch of self-centered, sucking, 
No, no, it doesn't say that. He says, teach the rich that God has given him riches to enjoy. Now, this isn't about, you know, how everybody needs to go after money. No, he's just simply saying, God, that which comes from his hand is intended for you to extract enjoyment. But how do we do that? Paul, when he's writing to this little letter to the Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, he says something interesting in verse 11. He says, you know, now here he's in prison, and, and, and he's thought he's been forgotten, but his little church in Philippi, 400 miles later uh, away, they send their pastor, their pastor, and he gets sick. And, and he shows up and he spends time. Paul sends him back with a letter called Philippians. And in chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul basically says this, I, I have learned to be content. And no matter what situation I'm in, I've learned to have a lot and really enjoy it. I've learned to have nothing and really enjoy it. You go, hello, Paul, what's wrong with you? And he says, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context. And so Paul says, and notice it says, he learned to be content. Now, that word content, he steals from the Stoic philosophers. And the word content was a philosophical term that simply meant this. I need no more to enjoy my life. Now, I still would love to have a new Corvette. Have you seen those lines? Oh, man, I got a Jeep, and I love my Jeep too, but oh, I would love to have a Corvette. But do I need a Corvette to enjoy my life? Absolutely not. Why? Because I've learned something. Somehow I've learned, like Paul says, who studied this book of, of, of Ecclesiastes, I've learned, which means you're not born with it. It's not natural. Not everybody's got it. But you can learn to be content, to be in a place that I don't need anything else to enjoy my life. We might call that what? Starts with an H. Happiness. Well, what did Paul learn and how did he do that? Well, go to chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes and here's his summary statement. How do you extract enjoyment from the good as well as the bad? From your eating, drinking, your working, your labor, your relationships, your life. Let's look at verse 18 of chapter 5 again, quickly. Here's what I've seen to be good and fitting. To eat, drink, enjoy oneself on all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. This is his reward. Furthermore, now watch this. As for every man to whom God has given from the hand of God, Something is given to you from the hand of God so that it might be riches, it might be wealth. He also empowered him to eat from them and thus it becomes his reward and thus he rejoices in his labor. This is the gift of God. And that's why this guy in the next verse is so gladdened and doesn't worry about his life. He enjoys his life. Well, what is this word empowered him to eat? That seems to be the key here. Because that word's used again in the next chapter. But in a negative way. Look at chapter 6. There's an evil. Ooh. There's an evil which I've seen under the sun. And it's prevalent among men. This phrase, under the sun. He uses it a lot. It means your mortal life. 
from your physical birth to your physical death. That's all he's talking about is his first gift of life. He's not talking about life after. And here's what he says. There's a man to whom God has given riches and wealth. Oh, and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Hmm. This guy's got more stuff than the first guy. Remember the first guy, God gives him riches and wealth. That's pretty good. But this guy, God gives him riches and wealth and honor and all that his heart desires. So we would conclude, which guy should be happier? First guy, second guy. Come on, second guy's got all more stuff. But look at the next phrase. But, it says, so that his soul lacks nothing of it. yet, God has not empowered him to eat from them. For a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and severe affliction. So the first guy is empowered to enjoy his stuff given to him by the hand of God. Second guy's got more stuff. But God does not empower him. What is this word empower? Yesterday, I was so blessed. Where are you? I had some sweet lady kind of came up to me and said, Shalat. <laughs> now normally those are fighting words, you know, because you don't know what she's saying. I know what she's saying. And uh, this is, I guess, review for you maybe in some way. But this word here, empowered, is the Hebrew word shalat. And what the Hebrew word shalat means is the ability given to extract enjoyment from a gift. You see, all gifts have two elements to it. The element of the gift itself, and then the element, the wisdom, the ability, the skill to extract enjoyment from that gift. So for example, I decide that I'm going to take you out on this particular date. It's your birthday. So I'm going to take you out for a steak dinner. So we got reservations for three weeks, and I'm taking old Dave out, Mike, out to a great dinner. First, I ought to remember his name. Mike out to a great dinner. <laughs> but then he finds out that uh, he has an accident here, and, and he just jams his head against one of these redwood trees and wipes out the whole front of his teeth. So he's got surgery the day after. They're going to re basically replace the teeth. But I'm sorry, I got the reservations. It's got to be without teeth. Now all of a sudden, that which was going to be a gift has now become a curse. Because nothing has changed as far as the dinner and the steak. But his ability to extract enjoyment from the steak, gone. Holly and I, apparently somebody in our church feels I'm getting a little fluffy. So he... Uh, went and bought us some brand new running shoes. These are beautiful, very expensive running shoes. It's a gift from the hand of this wonderful man. And they sit in my home. <laughs> and I've yet to extract any shallot or enjoyment from these shoes. And so what he's telling us in wisdom is yeah, God gives us gifts. This life, we have the senses to extract enjoyment. But the gift itself must also have shalot. How do you have God shalot me? You, 
so that I can extract enjoyment from the gift itself. Well, did you notice what he said back in chapter 2, verse 24? There's nothing better for a man than to eat, to drink, and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen that it is from the hand of God. For he knows he cannot enjoy anything without him. Have you ever wondered about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18? You know, people have asked me, how do you know what the will of God is? I, I want to do the will of God today. Is there a verse that says, and this is the will of God? Well, yeah, the whole Bible, this is the word of God. But in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul just comes out and says, okay, I'll tell you an example. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Paul kind of says, let me give you a clue. And the clue is this, give thanks in everything. Because God's response to gratefulness, and what is gratefulness? When I acknowledge that Holly's been given to me by the hand of God. When I acknowledge that my Jeep has been given to me by the hand of God. The opportunity to come and teach you good folks, given to me by the hand of God. Anything I eat, anything I drink, given to me by the hand of God. Every time I acknowledge the gifts that have been given to me by the hand of God. I express that gratefulness. And the moment I express gratefulness, what does God do? He shallots me. He empowers me to extract such enjoyment from what he has given me that I can actually be contented and need nothing more to enjoy my life and my heart can be gladdened. That's why he says, this is a gift of God. How do you get shalotted? And by the way, the way I said, the best way, best way to remember this message is just remember, next time something you receive a gift, you see something from the hand of God, just say, God, thanks, shalot. Hey, <laughs> okay. two, three years later, it still works. It just hooks it right in there. Thanks a lot. And it will remind you, it is a grateful heart that acknowledges that all you have has been given you by the hand of God. And by the way, what you don't have has not been given to you by the hand of God. And if you want to enjoy what you don't have, he'll shalot you for that as well. If you acknowledge it's from his hand or not from his hand. But what comes from his hand, he empowers you to extract enjoyment. How I picture it, and I close with this. You're standing there in this huge conveyor belt. And this huge conveyor belt, every 24 hours, there's an apple on it. Now, there are different kinds of apples. There are green apples, red apples, and some apples got a little worm, a little old and wrinkly, and other apples, juicy. Well, anyhow, as you're standing there... This conveyor belt goes by, and every 24 hours, you get an apple. Well, what do we do? We look at the apple, and we go, oh, my, my. Let me tell you about the apple of 1967. <laughs> Boy, the good old days, or I remember when, or when we had this, or when I could do that. Meanwhile, I'm looking at apples that have already gone by, and what happens to this apple? It goes right by without me even touching it. Or 
I kind of look at the apple and go, hmm. Any other apples coming down? No way. <laughs> Boy, when I get a house, when I graduate, oh, when I get married, oh, when I, when I, when that big apple comes. Meanwhile, what happens to the apple that's going right in front of me for this day? It goes right by untouched. Life is not hell. It's Havel. It's vaporous. And every day from the hand of God are gifts for you. Don't get distracted by what has been in the past or what might be in the future, but take the biggest, luscious bite you can take. Acknowledge it is from the hand of God. Watch him shalat you, empower you, extract such enjoyment. As the Apostle Paul, you could say, I've learned to be content. I am a happy man. I'm a happy woman. My heart is glad. I want to end each of uh, our sessions with just something I, I do at camps from time to time. There's a statement. Jesus said, trust me. I have everything under control. Statement Holly gave me has on a little rock or plaque or something. So at the end of each session, I'm going to basically say the first part. Jesus said, trust me. And I want you in unison to simply say, I have everything under control. Now the first time you try this, those of you with bad attitudes are going to screw it up. <laughs> so we'll do it again. And again. Until you repent. <laughs> Jesus said, trust me. I thought so. Okay, now those with a bad attitude, join us. Jesus said, trust me. I have God bless you. Father, thank you so much for such a privilege to be able to study this, this, this diary, this journal of such an interesting man of wisdom. Lord, I would pray that we would indeed, even though it might be humorous to think about thanks shalot, it might cause us, how do we extract enjoyment from all the gifts that flow our way every day so that our hearts might be gladdened and happiness instead of being a chance or haphazard. Father, it could just basically be indeed the air that we breathe daily and we breathe out gratefulness and praise and thanks. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray for this. And God's people said, Amen.